Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Hey, Nam. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. How are you? What documentary are we talking about today? Oh, we're already getting to the doc. You don't want to ask me how <laughs> I'm doing? Sorry, I forgot. Got your conversation. <laughs> 30 seconds. <laughs> Let's get to it. Let's get to it. We don't. We don't have to go right to the script. We can just. We can banter. That's what people come to us for. Okay, let's banter. Let's banter. Should we start again? I guess. <laughs> if we want. I thought it was going well, actually. So let's go to. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you, Colin? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, it's sunny out. It's uh, pretty warm. I think I'm going to go for a walk soon. How about you? I am going to have, I think, my fourth coffee. But yeah, not too bad. Fourth coffee. It's not even. 1 p.m., young lady. I know, but I've been up since 5, so realistic. It's oh. kind of like, I don't know, 4 o'clock then, when you're just oh, okay. inflation for hours. <laughs> well, I guess it's 9 a.m. somewhere, so somewhere. We'll, we'll allow it. So what documentary are we talking about today? So we are going to be talking about More Than Miyagi, the Pat Morita story, which delves into the life of an 80s movie icon. Lenny Bruce's mother named him the hip nip, but he hung on because now all of a sudden he had an angle. And he created one of the iconic characters in American cinema. One thing I learned with comics is they were actually some of the most unhappy, tortured people, and their comedy comes from pain. I mean, he was in a cast for like nine years, from his knees to like his neck for his childhood. The day he gets out, he walks into a war. He had a lot of inner demons. He struggled a lot with depression and he was drinking too much. I think he was doing too much drugs. He was drinking so much that I went to the line producer and said, I'm scared to death he's gonna fall off a cliff. And he was stumbling and, and he fell flat on his face. That was when it really, really hit home and he realized I've got a big problem. That entire chapter of my life changed me forever. Nam, did you watch The Karate Kid growing up? I did. I did. Um, I was, uh, I had a slight crush on Ralph Macchio. I actually had him on my wall alongside Ice Cube and Clint Eastwood. <laughs> okay. That's uh, quite the range of uh, masculinity right there. But the great thing about Karate Kid, though, was Mr. Miyagi, wasn't it? Yeah, he was definitely the standout and uh, so much of a standout that he actually was nominated for an Oscar. You know, he was really different from a lot of the protagonists who stood out at the time in the 1980s. You know, you're thinking of your Stallones or your Schwarzeneggers. You know, this was someone who didn't want to fight. He would only fight if absolutely necessary. There's also this through line in the doc about Asian representation in film and TV, and we wanted to explore that with Guy Aoki, who's a leader of the Media Action Network for Asian Americans. And they're a nonprofit that looks at media portrayals of Asian Americans and tries to advocate for more positive portrayals, more sensitive, more balanced, uh, from movies to TV to radio. And Guy was here, he's also in the film, but he was here to talk about Pat Morita's life and combating Asian stereotypes in film and how uh, shows like, you know, Fresh Off the Boat, Crazy Rich Asians, how they've kind of changed Hollywood. So let's go to that conversation. This is me and Guy Aoki talking about More Than Miyagi, the Pat Morita story. Guy Aoki, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great. Well, for those who maybe aren't too familiar with him, who was Pat Morita? 
Pat Morita was a person who, man, he had a really rough childhood. I think it was from the age of two to 11. He was in a full body cast because he had this kind of a condition where um, they told him he would never walk. So you can imagine two years old. I mean, you're just beginning to learn how to walk, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're barely, barely walking, I guess. And then two years later or so, when he was going to be released from the hospital, the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor and they had put all the um, Japanese Americans from the West Coast into concentration camps. So he goes straight from the hospital into the concentration camp with his parents. So, you know, it's like, what a horrible beginning for, for someone. Mm-hmm. And to go from, to go from that to then becoming a stand-up comic and then an actor, um, I just think that's quite a, a remarkable journey. It is. And, you know, it, it kind of plays to, um, you know, it's often said that most, most comedians, if not a lot of comedians, um, there's a lot of depression there. There's a lot of darkness. I mean, people have told stories about Jim Carrey and, oh, you know, it's mm. like, he's a dark guy. Um, so out of that darkness, out of that um, baggage, um, they create humor out of it. And so they create art. But, um, but you know, Pat had a lot of that darkness, which, which came out in that in documentary, More Than Miyagi, the Pat Morita story, where he, he was an alcoholic for most of his life. He died an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, they, they try to talk a bit about why that may have happened. Um, but I'm sure from 2 to 11, your developmental years, that's got to set you back right, right, right from the get-go, you know? Absolutely. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, the film, I think, tries to flesh out his life a bit um, because I think a lot of people know him as Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid franchise. To what extent do you think that role was a, a blessing or a curse for him? Uh, you know, it's, it's, always a, it's always a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you want to get, you want to, whether, whether you're uh, an actor on a long-running TV show or you're an actor in a popular movie franchise, you want to have something that's big. The back, the back side of that is sometimes you can get typecast with that part, whether it's a TV role or a movie role, where they think that's all you can do. Um, so that's always going to be, you know, that's, that's always going to be a, a double-edged sword. But I think, I think ultimately, um, Pat Morita is regarded really well because of his contributions to pop culture, mainly through uh, his role as Arnold on Happy Days, which was the number one show in the country back in the mid-70s. And, and those, those four Karate Kid movies. So, um, yeah, the, the documentary talks about how toward the ending he was not getting roles. But I think that's true of any actor who's getting into his 60s or 70s, you know. Yeah. So. Well, you know, he started off as a stand-up comedian, which we kind of touched on earlier. But, and then he moved, moved to film and television. But a lot of his comedy routine kind of poked fun at his identity as a as a japanese american i wonder what why you think that was his his go-to shtick you know it's like you kind of have to play to your audience so you go on stage they see this asian face and they're going to think a lot of foreign things about you even if you're born and raised in america they're going to think a lot of foreign things so you kind of have to address that in order for them to get past it and they can just hear the jokes that you have and and judge if you're funny or not so I think that was what he initially had to do. And so some of it was a little self-deprecating. 
Um, hopefully not his entire act was, was self-deprecating because that would be kind of sad. But I can't judge him. You know, my main thing I told Kevin Derek was that my, my take on Pat Morita's entire career was he had to do whatever he had to do to survive, to stay in the business, to put food on the table for his family and his kids, and to get enough notoriety where he got to be Arnold on Happy Days and he got to be Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid films so that he could contribute that to pop culture. So I, I cannot judge what, uh, what he did. The hip-nip thing, yeah, that rubbed the Japanese-American community the wrong way, definitely. But, um, yeah, but I understand. It, it, you know, it was not a very enlightened time when he started out in the 60s. Wow, these lights, they make my eyes squint. <laughs> Even though he might have been playing with stereotypes in his comedy and some of his television roles, do you think it still helped to make Asians more visible on TV? Well, for Happy Days, um, first of all, it's, it's great that they had an Asian person on a 50s show. When you think of the 50s, you only think about white people, right? It's American Graffiti, Happy Days. Most of these things are very white. Uh, you'd be lucky if you have a token black person in there. So to have an Asian person in there was great. Now, he was speaking with an accent, so it kind of perpetuated the notion of you see an Asian guy, he's probably a foreigner. Um, Karate Kid, same thing too. Um, he, he was speaking with an accent. So, so that's the drawback. Um, I mean, to this day, what is it? 63% of Asians in, this, in, Asians in this country are foreign born. So a lot of them are going to have accents. And so it is important to portray them. We don't want to be embarrassed by them. So, you know, we tell the networks, we tell the movie studios, yeah, you have to portray those with and without accents. The main thing is you just have to make them relatable to the people watching and don't just use their uh, foreignness as a butt of jokes or as a way of making them out to be other, you know, something different from you, something strange, something peculiar or someone that you just use for comic relief. The actor James Hong, who is also Asian American is interviewed the doc and he's played some pretty significant roles he believes the Mr. Miyagi character was still based on a stereotype, but it's also a pretty celebrated part, and it got Morita an Oscar nomination. What do you think about that duality? Yeah, I heard that Mako, Mako is one of the co-founders of East West Players, you know, the longest running uh, Asian American and basically minority theater in the country. He turned it down, too. Hmm. Um, I tell you, you know, when I saw the trailer for Karate Kid in 1984, I didn't want to see the movie. I, I thought it was a crappy trailer. I thought it was hokey. <laughs> no, really. I, you know, what was that thing uh, where uh, I think um, Daniels tells um, Mr. Miyagi he likes his belt, and he goes, ha, 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 something, something from J.C. Penney. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yes. I don't want to see this. Hey, what kind of belt do you have? Canvas. You like? <laughs> J.C. Penney, 398. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean a belt like that. I meant... Okinawa, belt me, no need rope, hold up pants. <laughs> and so to me it's a typical quote oriental wise men unquote teaching a white guy how to fight karate right never and it's never an asian guy teaching a fellow asian how to <laughs> it's always right. teaching a white guy and usually teaching a white guy how to beat up fellow asian people but at least this one he was just beating up white people <laughs> <laughs> so that's a plus but um 
So I didn't want to see the film. And I was working at the time at American Top 40 with Casey Kasem, you know, that very, very popular syndicated radio show. Mm-hmm. And my boss, he said, have you seen Karate Kid? And I said, no. And he goes, you have to see it. And I go, well, it's just a tip of another, you know, Oriental karate. He goes, yeah, but it's more than just about karate. It's about life. It's about, and I still didn't see it. And then I was involved with this student's group called APSU, Asian Pacific Student Union, where it was a network of Asian American clubs across the, um, the West Coast. And once a year, we would have an annual conference and we talk about different issues facing Asian Americans and students. And so one of my colleagues said, yeah, you know, so when Pat Morita talks about the internment camp in Karate Kid, um, you know, white people don't know it even happened. And I went, hmm. wait, he talked about the internment camps? Yeah. He, and I went, wait, what? So then I got interested. And then when he got the Oscar nomination, I went, what? Wait, wait, for playing this silly guy? So then I rented hmm. the video. And when I saw that drunk scene, where he's celebrating his birthday by himself and he's, and he reveals to Daniel that he fought in the 142nd battalion in World War II. He was in Germany um, fighting the enemy. And then he gets word from his commanding officer that his wife and child died in childbirth because no doctor came to help them. And he's crying. Yes, regret the wife, son. Oh my God. I mean, I, I have put that video. I, I, when, when Mana started in 1992, I used to go to college campuses and we would show a medley of negative stereotypes about Asians and followed by positive positive portrayals, including George Takei in Star Trek VI, where he kicked the button and saved Captain Kirk's butt. Uh, hmm. And every time I had to edit in that scene of him, uh, the drunken scene, my eyes were so full of tears, I couldn't see. You know, so it was a stereotype role. It was an oriental wise man with an accent, um, speaking in, you know, kind of broken English and, and giving these kind of uh, fortune cookie kind of advice right yeah but that and even ali marita one of pat marita's daughters said without that scene it's a stereo it's a stereotype role it's a stereotype character but thank god they included that scene because they were going to cut it out uh as ralph macchio said very well in the uh the documentary it it to include that scene was like seven or eight minutes long toward the ending of the movie when you're you're trying to go toward this exciting uh, showdown, this, this karate tournament was going to be Johnny versus, versus Daniel, and everything's revving, 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 and then you got to stop and go backwards in time for something that happened 40 years ago. It kills the momentum, but right. thank goodness, the producers said, okay, we'll keep it. Uh, and Pat Morita begged them to keep it. You know? uh-huh. I just was going to add that you know, he's also such a contrast to a lot of the other uh, stars of that era, you know, I'm thinking of your Stallones and I think the film even brings us up, you know, the, you know, the box office draw at that time was probably like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Like, you know, big muscly white action stars. Um, yeah. He, he was a guy who knew he could fight you. He could fight anybody, but he only did it if you really came after him. He really didn't want to, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the, 
And it was great that uh, Mark Kamen, the guy who wrote the script, um, he was someone who took karate. I mean, he took, he took the discipline of karate seriously. So it wasn't just like most Hollywood people do. They, they have very little understanding of the philosophy of karate. They don't take it seriously. And Mark, thank God, thank God, he took it seriously. And so a lot of the things he put into that stuff was philosophy. And it was about, it was about passivity. It was about, you don't just, just because you know how to beat people up, you don't go looking for a fight so you can use what you know. You use it only when you're being attacked and you have to. You have no other choice but to defend yourself. And even, even if this movie was directed by John Abbotson, who did the Rocky movies, even when uh, we're toward the end and Johnny, uh, Johnny does that horrible illegal move probably against, uh, against Daniel, and Daniel's like, his, his legs are like almost ruined. Like how the hell can this guy continue in this tournament when he just like damaged his legs. And Miyagi says at that point, look, you proved your point. You proved that you're good. You don't have to continue. In other words, he's not going like, yeah, yeah, we got to beat this son of a gun. You know, he goes, no, 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 you proved your point and you don't have to continue. So even at that point in a tournament, Miyagi is saying, you don't have to win this, <laughs> you know, which is very anti-Rocky, right? Right. You think about it. But, but Daniel goes, no, 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 no. If, if I don't win this, they're going to keep on picking on me in school. So he goes, okay. So he puts his hands together and he does that, you know, antimatter matter and whatever, <laughs> whatever oriental powers he has that no one's ever spoken about before. And he miraculously, you know, uh, makes his leg come back to a functioning thing where he can kick, he can kick Johnny in the face and win the match, you know, but, yeah. So yeah, it was it was stereotyped. So it's like it's good with the bad. But I tell you, I, I told this story because I think it's really indicative of the popularity of Miyagi, and why overall it was a positive thing. Um, I was in a theater in Glendale, California, where I lived. I looked around the audience to see who's come to see this movie. It's mostly white people. And so the movie starts, and they have Ralph Macho's name come on the screen because he is a star, and there was loud applause. Pat Noriyuki Morita. The place went nuts. Crazy. I mean, they love this guy. And I, I literally looked to my left slowly. I looked to my right slowly. And I went, holy crap. And I realized they, they were there to see Pat Morita. Wow. And, and I've told this story to the networks. You know, we meet with the networks every year. Uh, part of a TV coalition since 1999 and 2000. And they give us data on all the Asian American writers, producers, directors they've hired, the actors who are regular cast members, the actors who are recurring cast members. And we talk about what's going well and what they should do better. And I told this story, look, this example proved to me Hollywood can make anybody noble. Hollywood can make anybody a hero that you cheer for. That's what we're asking you to do. Don't just make us guest stars. You, you show life from our point of view, and that will have a big effect on how we think about ourselves and how people treat us. You know? But that is the upshot to me. People love Pat Morita's character. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that, about the, 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 the positive portrayals, because I think you know, um, we're sort of seeing a reckoning right now with race uh, in Hollywood. And um, you know, I think... Uh, 
it, positive like portrayals of Asian people. Uh, it's been kind of lacking, I guess, is for lack of a better term. What is what would you say though is good representation? You brought up George Takei earlier, but what what else could you, I guess, point to? Well, you know, um, there was some hope with James Shigeta in the late fifties, early sixties. He was like a leading man. Um, he was in these movies. I don't know how well they did. They probably were independent films, um, but he was in this film that took place in Little, Little Tokyo. They shot it in Little Tokyo, and he was a policeman. And his best friend was also a policeman. And there was a, they were in competition for this attractive white woman. And son of a gun, at the end of the movie, the white woman chooses him. Hmm. The, the white woman chooses um, James Shigeta over the white guy. And it causes some friction between the two pals, but they end up being pals. But, you know, stuff like that, you go, holy cow, this is like 60 years ago. And it was hard to see that even 10 years ago in films you know it was like it was always asian women with white guys it was never you know it was always because you know who writes these films right 80 percent of motion pictures are written by white men 70 percent of tv series are written by white men so they write their white male fantasies into it but but james shigetha was there he was in uh, flowery drum song so, so so he was having these romantic relationships on screen so that was really important but, you know, so you get stuff like the, you got the rare movie like Flower Drum Song in 1960 or 61. And then you got to wait till 1993 to see Joy Luck. I mean, you had to wait over 30 years to see another all Asian American cast. And then you had to wait like 25 years later to see Crazy Rich Asians. So that's how ridiculous it is. Even when you have successful films with or predominantly Asian cast, the powers that be who say, yes, we're going to make that film. No, it's a bad idea. Their assumption has always been, if it's too ethnic, the white audience is not going to come. And that's just baloney. Um, every April and May, I would call Nielsen, the Nielsen company, which does the ratings for TV. And there was always some show that I was trying to write to the president of that network to give another season. So a lot of times it was Fresh Up the Boat or Dr. Ken. And so I would tell them to give me a breakdown of who is watching these shows by ethnicity and what is the lead in show? How well does that do? How does the show after that Asian show do? Anything I can do statistically to tell the president of the network why this show is a success. And what I learned from Fresh Up the Boat was the white audience indexed at 100 meaning they were watching the show in 100% their proportion to the U.S. population. So if 60% of the United States is white, 60% of the audience of Fresh Up the Boat was white. Um, the black community was 102%, meaning like if the black community is 12% of the U.S. population, more than 12% of the fans of Fresh Up the Boat were black. And why is that? There's no black character in Fresh Off the Boat, right? <laughs> There's no, they had one black kid that would recur once in a great while. There was no reason on paper for black people to watch Fresh Off the Boat, a family of six Asian people. They watched it. They liked it. So, so I told the network, see, so keep this in mind, you guys. It is not a risk to have, quote, too many Asians in anything. It's not too ethnic. 
you make it good, people will watch. And, mm -hmm. and, and there was a gathering of Asian American members of the Writers Guild in 2017. And I said this to them. I said, look, we are pushing the networks to hire more of you. The reason we want them to hire you is that we hope at some point you will pitch a show starring Asian Americans. Now, if you're not going to do that, I'd much rather promote sensitive white people, okay? Sensitive white writers. So you keep this in mind now about fresh off the boat is a success with everybody. You're not losing the white crowd. So please pitch Asian shows. So the common wisdom is a bunch of white guys at the studio underestimating what the audience is ready for. They've always underestimated. The American people are far more open-minded than they give them credit. What, what do you think of Stephen Yun's nomination? He's the first Asian actor to be nominated for a, a best actor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's been, you know, 93 Oscars that I, you know, that are uh, come and gone. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a long time for uh, an Asian actor to be nominated uh, in that category. Obviously, you know, we talked about uh, Maria's nomination uh, for best supporting actor, but you know, this is again, first time for a, a best actor. Uh, you know, obviously this isn't gonna solve racism, but um, what does it symbolize to you? It symbolizes that we can, we can compete with everybody else. We can compete with the best in the industry. Of all the thousands, thousands of actors out there who have had roles in movies, Steven is one of the five best. That is amazing. I mean, the odds of that happening are very, very, very small. You know, I mean, when they say it's a cliched phrase, it's an honor to be nominated. It really is because the odds of you being nominated are far greater than the odds of you winning. So, you know, even if you lose when you're in the, you know, the, the five nominees, even if you lose, you know, you had a 20% chance, right? You had less than 20% chance to get nominated. So it is great for, for any of our Asian American actors to get that kind of respect because it helps them get better roles in the future. You know, it's like Hollywood is always like, who's the flavor of the month? Like who's hot now? So Steven's going to get a lot of, lot of offers because of that. And hopefully he'll realize it's not just Steven, but a lot of other Asian American actors or Asian Canadians or what have you, or Asian Brits who are very talented and they deserve a chance to make money for their studios by, by doing a great job. Uh, you know, if they don't give them the opportunity, then you guys, the studios, you're losing money. You know, so do, your, so do yourself a favor and consider all the talent that we have in our community. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, going back to Maria again, I just, I w was just watching the, uh, uh, on YouTube, a clip of him. Uh, he didn't win that year. He lost to uh, another actor, Hang S. Noor, who's also, uh, I think he's Cambodian. Yeah. Um, you know, he lost to him, but the woman who was presenting him the Oscar <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was Linda Hunt, who was nominated or so she won for playing, uh, I believe a Chinese person in a year of living dangerously, which, and she's not Chinese, I should point out. <laughs> so it's just incredible just, uh, how far, uh, things have come along since then. This is actually not even that long ago. I went, I mean, this is 85. So I was like four years old, but, uh, I just think, yeah, it's just insane. Yeah, I, I'm, at the time, people were marveling that, wow, look what a great job she did. She's a woman, but she played a guy who's Asian. <laughs> That's right, it was and, a guy, and, too. And the question for us was, like, uh, should she have been playing an Asian? I mean, right. you know, 
I mean, so that's the kind of discussions that they wouldn't really think about. And they wouldn't amplify our voices to say, ah, oh, wait a minute. You know, she played an Asian dwarf, so she's a short person. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Asian dwarfs out there who would have loved the opportunity to play the role as opposed to a white woman with her privilege getting to play anything. Mm-hmm. So that's what was lost back then. So I'm glad that people are getting more sensitive to this. Uh, ever since the George Floyd, George Floyd murders, I'm glad that people have accelerated their so-called commitment to diversity, where they're now actually having numerical goals. You know, before they never want to have numerical goals. The network said, no, we, want, we don't want to have quotas. We want, this to have, we want this to happen organically. And now CBS is saying, we want the writer's room to be 50% people of color in two years. That is amazing, amazing turnaround. But so for Asian Americans, we go, okay, we know because it's, it was Black Lives Matter and George Floyd that primarily, or at least initially, the industry is going to focus on black people again, right? Mm-hmm. But what's been really great is that other people like um, Alison Bree, who did the voiceover in Bojack Horseman playing a Vietnamese American woman. She came out and she said, you know what? I'm sorry. I should never have taken this part. They should have found an Asian or Vietnamese woman and, uh, to play this part. She could have made this role so much more authentic. And so I'm glad that people are reflecting upon this. You know, uh, Kristen Bell, she played a mixed race girl on another cartoon. And she said, my, my white privilege made me rationalize why I could play someone who was half white. But, you know, I told the producers, go find someone who's half black or mixed race. Give the role to them. I quit the role. I'm sorry. So those kinds of things have been happening. So it's really fantastic. It strikes me that we're having this conversation at a time that's been pretty dangerous for Asian communities, both in the United States and in Canada. Do you think that the racist and stereotypical portrayals of Asian people in movies and television contributes to that danger? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many movies can you think of where the only Asian person in there is only used for comic relief? I remember seeing the first um, um, Spider-Man movie. The only person I remember having a speaking role was a Chinese-looking woman, an immigrant outside a skyscraper. And I think she's playing a violin. And she's singing the theme song from the 70s cartoon Spider-Man. In a, in a Chinese accent. And the audience in the theater that was in laughs. A Spider-Man, a Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can a Spins a web in his side Catches bees or toss flies Anybody with an Asian accent is used to make fun of them. Um, that's how it was. Thank goodness it's been changing for the last 10 years. Uh, like you know, when you saw Lost uh, on ABC, when we, when we asked um, if they're going to have any Asian-American regulars, they said, well, we have two Korean characters, but they don't speak English. And went, oh, come on, really? I mean, how the <laughs> hell are they going to relate to them? But here's the great thing about this. Um, they, uh, the wife, played by Yoon Jin Kim, secretly did know English, turns out, ha, ha, ha. Spoiler so, warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so she was able to speak English, and Jin was Jin still struggled with uh, Daniel Day-Kyung. But you know what happened was um, they were separated for three years in the show, right, the two of them. Finally, they came together, and tragically, within a day, they died in that 
submarine explosion. You know, Daniel De Kim chose to die with his wife because she was caught under the debris. She could not move her legs. He could not free her. And she said, free yourself. Just go. Just leave me. And he goes, no, I'm never leaving you again. And they drowned together. And I'm like, no, don't do this. What are you? And, but the, the point is, when you went online and you saw the reaction to the fans, they were saying, you can't do this to us. They are Romeo and Juliet. How can, how can you be so mean? They were apart for three years. I told the president of ABC at our annual meeting, when you make people care about Asian people like that, you've done a great job. And that's what it's about, caring about Asian people, whether they're fourth generation Japanese Americans like me, or people who just came from an an Asian country. And so the accumulation of Asian stereotypes, whether it's every time you see an Asian guy in a gong gong place when he walks into the room, or he's usually used to be a a karate guy, or or Asian women are geishas, or, you know, Asian women fall in love with the first white guy who walks in the room. That adds to this Asian fetish. It's like you talk to Asian women and the kind of creepy white guys they've had to fend off. You know, all of these things have an accumulative effect. And they, on the other hand, have not shown us to be heroes. They haven't shown, they haven't made a good movie about the 142nd Regimental Combat Team. These guys, on average, were five feet one. They were short guys. And yet they went in there and they saved a bunch of white soldiers, the Lost Battalion, to the point where Texas made all of these Japanese American soldiers honorary Texans. I think they even have a statue to them. Why don't you tell these stories? Why don't you say that the Chinese work on the railroads? They're not in any of the pictures. They get no credit. Why don't you show how long we have been in this country, building this country, making it better, uh, upholding the most American values, that's what they have to do. And I want the networks to concentrate on making American dramas, uh, uh, Asian American dramas that show that we have suffered, we have struggled. You know, you think it's just about us getting really high grades. Oh yeah, then why aren't we in upper management then? Why aren't we getting paid what we're worth? We're not getting paid what we're worth. You know, they need to show that we have struggled and that it has not been easy. Well, after wrap up our conversation, let's just circle back to more than Miyagi. What were your overall thoughts on the doc? Well, it's sad the way it ended. Uh, you know, he died an alcoholic. His wife said, you know, you can't live here anymore. You got to leave. You know? But although I, I, I think she was there at his deathbed. But I, I do want to thank Pat Morita for what he did. I'm sorry for the tragedies of his life and his demons. But I, I love what he contributed to the pop culture. Mr. Miyagi lives on in Cobra Kai. We haven't mentioned Cobra Kai. Yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. I it, absolutely it, it, it love it. It is so well done. It is it's so, so well done. Wow. It's addictive. It is addictive. Yeah, but Although not I many did, Asians on it, though. I, I did I did talk to uh, the creators, because uh, they're the creators of Harold and Kumar, and we gave them an award a few years ago, so they know us. And I, I, I spoke to them. I said, you know, you got to put some Asian-American regulars on there. I mean, it, it is karate. I know it's universal yeah. feeling, but come on, you got to put some Asian regulars. So they're going to they're gonna do that next season. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. But, um, but, you know, we have to have, we have to fight against whitewashing. There's this trend where Hollywood makes a film based on Asian or Asian American source material, and they put white actors in the roles, whether it's Ghost in the Shell with uh, Scarlett Johansson or Aloha, where they have uh, Emma Stone playing a half Hawaiian Chinese character. Use us, use us. That's going to change the way we perceive. That's going to fight hate crimes. 
that's going to make us feel better about ourselves. And, but, you know, Asian Americans, we got to speak up more, you know, mm. the, the, the Asian uh, culture in Asia about just do good work and keep your head down. That doesn't work here in America. You got to defend yourself. You got to speak up for yourself or they take you for granted. They don't care about laws that they pass. They don't ask, how does it impact you? Do you like the law? Should we pass this? No, you got to speak up for yourself. We have to learn this. Yeah. Well, Guy, that's a great place to leave it. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. It's really great. That was Guy Aoki from Media Action Network for Asian Americans. Man, what'd you think? Ah, it was a great interview. I learned a lot. Um, he mentioned that back in 1961, a movie came out called Flower Drum Song, and it was very successful. And then it took almost 30 years until another movie came out with an all Asian, with a predominantly all Asian cast, and that was The Joy Luck Club, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. But then again, uh, that movie came out in 1993. Then we had to wait until 2018 uh, when Crazy Rich Asians came out to have another predominantly all Asian cast. And I wonder, you know, if you're a young Asian person growing up and you don't see yourself on screen and what the impact that that has on you. Uh, we always hear conversations about why these movies are not made. And I'm glad that you also talked about it when he mentioned Nielsen ratings and how the data actually supports that, you know, black people are tuning in to watch fresh off the boat uh white people are tuning in to watch uh fresh off the boat so this argument about having to make um shows that appeal to the predominant uh group doesn't hold up so you know i learned a lot from this interview and i think um that's why we need to have more conversations around representation representation from many many groups mm -hmm. yeah that's well well put I, I one thing i was kind of thinking about uh when i listened back to it was just uh the fact that uh, it's unfortunate that Pat Morita, you know, he had to deal with all this racism uh, in Hollywood and, you know, wasn't really given the kinds of breaks that maybe he would have if he had been white. And, you know, even though he was ob obviously nominated for an Oscar and, you know, he did have success with the Karate Kid franchise, I still think that if he had been allowed to uh, be given, you know, more roles, given better roles, you know, to see what kind of like how he would have flourished in a, in a more, I guess, tolerant, more accepting environment, I think that would have been really interesting to see. And it's great to see the, um, you know, the legacy of the Karate Kid live on through Cobra Kai. I haven't watched it, but I have, I've heard great things about it. Um, and one of the, th something that stuck with me when you were speaking to Guy Aoki was that scene uh, in the Karate Kid when um, Mr. Miyagi was talking about what happened to his family um, and being in the internment camp. You know, as a kid, I didn't know anything about that. And that was my introduction to the challenges that Asian, um, Asian people have faced. So I think his legacy is a long lasting legacy. And I, I, the young Asian actors, I mean, not to speak on their behalf, but you know, I think they recognize that they stand on the shoulders of um, the, the character of Mr. Miyagi and um, the, you know, again, when people say, um, representation matters it really does matter and it's not just something that's cliche but when you see it you can be it and you can dream it um so uh fantastic interview with guy Yoke. and that's the podcast you can watch more than miyagi the pat marita story on itunes 
While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us? It helps new listeners find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. And you can follow me at Namshine, all one word. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, and executive producer Laurie Few. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>